As I look outside the window, Greg, and I know in particular you enjoy the the sunshine. It's a rather gloomy day, but I I, I think this is a situation where we're probably okay with that. Although I think we'll celebrate it. In fact, although maybe not last night for you. Oh my word! Oh, I'm still cold. I'm still wet. They made my kids play baseball and for two hours in the rain last night. Wow! And I didn't go in my rain gear because normally at the first sign of inclement weather, that's it. Wrap it up. Yeah. Not last night. Oh, no. No, boys were soaking wet, and they've already had a bunch of their games uh, rescheduled for a variety of different reasons, including the the bad weather at the beginning of the year. I think they had to push pause on the season for a week. So I understand they're trying to get some games in, but I could have done without the cold shower last night. Yeah. Yeah, didn't need it. But this is this is welcomed. I don't know if I've ever been so happy to see dark gray sky on the Friday before the May long weekend, but I can say unequivocally, I'm thrilled to see it. Yeah, and once we get through today, it looks like it's going to be a nice weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, as you heard in the forecast, nice and sunshine, decent temperatures. Uh, uh, let me just double check that once again here. Yeah, uh, 19 tomorrow, 24 on Sunday. That's great. We're going golfing on Sunday. Hopefully it's a little bit greener, not quite as dry. Looking out the window here, we said it uh, about a week ago, looking out the window here at Polo Park, the beautiful canopy of uh, elm trees over on Strathcona Street in the West End. They were looking a little brown, a little sparse. Looking out this morning, beautiful and green already. And uh, some lilacs are already sprouting. No way. Yeah. How nice is that? When I was out for a walk, I I stopped and I literally stopped and smelled the flowers. (laughs) Hey, got a text message from one of our loyal listeners who said, Hey, guys, can you check Manitoba Hydro? We're without power out in Bronx Park area. And sure enough, Winnipeg reporting 2,121 customers without electricity this morning and about 778 customers out in Springfield are without power at the moment. So uh, if there's any details you can share with us about what's going on, often that affects traffic signals, etc. So we like to know about that, 780-6868. Thank you very much for that tip. Also coming up today, we still have two more tickets. I'm just going to block the lines. Before the phone starts to light up. Two more tickets to see Steve Earle and the Dukes at Club Regent Event Center. That show is coming up on September 21st, so wait for your cue to call on that. The Couch Potatoes will assemble at 737 to tell you about what is coming out this weekend. Deadpool 2, of course, is the big one. Uh, But if that's not your thing... Uh, there's a movie called Book Club, which looks hilarious. You know with what? An all-star cast. You would think that that sort of movie would not be appealing to guys in our age range. Yeah. But we've both looked at each other and said, that looks like it's going to be really good. Yeah, I don't think it's getting the greatest reviews, yeah, but I still, well. you know what, man, with that cast, I'm just pulling up the, uh, so Jane Fonda's in it, Diane Keaton, Mary Steenburgen, and Candace Bergen. Don, Don Johnson's in there, hello. Yeah, Don, Don Johnson, <laughs> that's right. That is right. Is so, Andy Garcia in there as well? Andy Garcia's in there too, yeah, that's uh, one of, Craig T. Nelson is in it, <laughs> Alicia Silverstone is in it, wow. Oh, where's she been? I don't know. How you doing and where you been? Richard Dreyfus is in it, that's right, I forgot, <laughs> Richard Dreyfus doesn't do anything anymore, so I don't know what, what he, how they got him to come out to do this. Well, once you do your opus, isn't that supposed to be sort of the end of your career? Mr. Holland's opus, oh. isn't that supposed to be the end of it all? 
<laughs> you can right. put your feet up after that, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so it looks great. I think it looks great, and it's good counter-programming for those who don't give a... You know, a rip about superhero movies. Well, speaking of superhero movies, I couldn't believe this. I'm sitting on the on the couch for the first time this week, and I'm I'm watching a little bit of television, and I see a commercial for Black Panther. Yep. And I'm thinking, holy crow, they're still pushing this. Uh, people go out and see it in the theater. No, it's out on Blu-ray and DVD, and it's still in the theater. Yeah, that's a rare occurrence where you have a movie that is now available on home video and is still it's still playing in the main theaters as well. It's not playing at Cinema City. It's playing at, for example, right next door here at Cineplex Polo Park. It's made $696 million domestic, $1.3 million worldwide. Uh, just a stunning achievement for Marvel for that film. Avengers, by the way, is at $562 million. I'm curious to see if Avengers will catch it. It's already surpassed its worldwide total, but, uh, man, Black Panther, uh, if you haven't seen it, you don't need to be into any of this superhero stuff. You can go see it and not know who anybody else is and still enjoy it. It's a standalone property. Uh, at least this first movie is, fair to say. Yeah, it fits into the bigger picture if you know it, but if you don't know it, you don't need to know it. You can still enjoy it. Behind the Glass, Jerry will be uh, taking care of uh, so many things, more things than we can actually list. But you sent us out uh, a bizarre uh, kind of compilation, something that's happening this summer. Fox and Disney putting some characters. What was that all about? Yeah, it's uh, Warner Brothers in D.C. are it- putting some characters together so you're going to have the looney tunes and the dc universe characters all together in comic books neat yeah some of the pictures you sent were creepy but cool very creepy looking yeah so you've got uh, lex luther and uh porky pig okay uh the joker and daffy duck Nice. So they're going to be nemesi, nemesis, nemesis. <laughs> nemesis. Yeah. There we yeah, go. And, and then uh, Sylvester and Tweety, along with uh, Catwoman. Very cool. I do not find Mr. Amsel's testimony regarding any of these allegations to be believable or credible. His evidence overall, when considered in the context of the evidence as a whole, does not raise a reasonable doubt. I do not accept his explanations, and they do not raise a reasonable doubt for the presence of his DNA. That is Judge Tracy Lord, who yesterday found Guido Amsel guilty on four counts of attempted murder. The charges came after bombs were sent to his ex-wife and two law firms in the summer of 2015. You remember lawyer Maria Matusas lost her hand in an explosion at a firm on River Avenue. Yesterday on the news with Richard Cluche and Julie Buckingham, we heard reaction from a number of people, including Winnipeg's police chief, Danny Smythe. He was a police superintendent at that time and remembers how much the city was on edge. Well, you know, that was an unusual situation because it did put so many people on edge that we felt we needed to get out and needed to get out quickly to try to put some uh, reassurance out into the community that it wasn't just this random thing happening. So uh, it was important to try to get out as much information as we could. Was there a sense early on that you were dealing with something very specific here or was there the risk of the unknown? Well, initially the risk of the unknown, but uh, we were quickly able to zero in and and try to deal with something. So uh, deal with the case that ultimately brought charges against uh, Mr. Amsel, but uh, um, it was the coordination of that. 
Smythe also told Richard and Julie it was a difficult situation in terms of being a tax on resources due to heightened vigilance, not just for Winnipeg police, but for the RCMP as well. Of course, because people were a little bit on edge because they didn't really have enough information, everything became suspicious and uh, there was a real hypervigilance in the community. So I don't remember the exact count now, but it was dozens and dozens of suspicious packages and uh, Along with trying to coordinate the actual investigation, it was taxing our bomb unit uh, to try to deal with all of these other calls. You know, it became necessary to ask the RCMP to help us with that, both uh, the the investigation and then afterwards, uh, they really relieved us on a lot of the day-to-day stuff. And Winnipeg defense lawyer Mike Cook also spoke with Richard and Julie yesterday on the news, and he says attempted murder is one of the most difficult charges in the criminal code for the Crown to prove. Because you have to either A, hear them say something such as, you're dead, I'm going to kill you, or B, their actions have to be such that you would infer that the only possible intent they had would be to kill the person. And the common example I give, if you hit somebody in the head with a baseball bat, well, I guess it could go either way. Maybe you intended on killing them, or maybe you just meant to hurt them. Now, if you hit them in the head with a baseball bat and you accompany that action with words such as, I'm going to kill you, you're dead, that shows what the intent of the accused was. Their intention was to kill that victim. However, short of that, if they just hit them in the head, then you really don't know. And in that case, there might be some reasonable doubt as to the accused's intention. Some actions, just by their nature, though, there can be no doubt what the logical conclusion of the actions would be. For example, if you put a gun up to somebody's head and shoot them and they die as a result, it's pretty hard to say I didn't mean to kill them. Yesterday in court, we heard Judge Tracy Lord explain she didn't believe Guido Amsel. You heard the clip at the beginning, and she explained why she didn't believe him. So Cook explains why she had to do that. What the judge says... They have to follow a case from the Supreme Court of Canada that said when an accused testifies, you have to go through a three-step process. Step number one is if you believe the accused and their denial of the allegations, then you must acquit. Step number two says if you don't believe the accused, but his or her evidence leaves you in a reasonable doubt, you must acquit. Step number three says, if you do not believe the accused and their evidence does not leave you in a doubt, based upon the evidence that you do accept, has the Crown proven the case beyond a reasonable doubt? And in the decision, from what I saw this afternoon, I think on step number one, Judge Lord did not believe Mr. Amsel's evidence. Under step number two, his evidence did not leave her in a reasonable doubt. And based upon step number three in the Supreme Court case, The evidence that the judge did accept certainly did not leave her in a reasonable doubt. Therefore, she entered the convictions on many of the counts on the information. A meeting has been set for next week to discuss a date for a sentencing hearing. It isn't known if EMSA will appeal the verdict. Time is running out to get a NAFTA deal done on Thursday. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland and several top-level staffers met with American officials in both Washington and New York. Of course, Prime Minister Trudeau got that honorary law degree from New York University, from NYU. They were looking 
to plan a path forward on NAFTA negotiations. Global's Mike LeCouture was traveling with the Prime Minister who said there's a good deal on the table. The Prime Minister has never sounded this positive about NAFTA. And with a looming deadline, he needed to strike a reassuring note to the business execs here in New York. To be honest, we're down to a point where there is a good deal on the table. In fact, Foreign Affairs Minister Christian Freeland is headed to Washington today in a bid to shore up support for a deal among stakeholders. But when journalists pressed on how soon that could happen, Trudeau wasn't quite as assertive as he was in front of the Wall Street crowd. There are reasons to be uh, cautiously optimistic. Trudeau noted the five-year sunset clause being demanded by the U.S. remains a sticking point. But he indicated all three countries are close to signing off on contentious provisions for the auto sector. Mexico has put proposals on the table that actually uh, will go a long way towards uh, reducing the trade deficit the U.S. has with Mexico and uh, indeed even bringing back some auto jobs from Mexico to the United States. Not true, according to the Mexico Minister of Economy, who quickly corrected the Prime Minister in a tweet, saying any renegotiated NAFTA that implies losses of existing Mexican jobs is unacceptable. Trudeau tried to backtrack on that too, saying he was only highlighting a well-known American bargaining position and the actual outcomes remain to be negotiated. It's just another sign that so much about these NAFTA talks remain uncertain. Meanwhile, the United States has declared NAFTA countries remain far apart on a deal. U.S. trade czar Robert Lighthizer rejected the idea. An agreement is imminent, saying big differences remain on intellectual property, agriculture, online purchases, energy, labor, and rules of origin. As we head into the long weekend, Greg... You're going to be pulling a bit of an extra shift today as you uh, pitch in for the Tri Hospital. That's tri- That's right, the Tri Hospital Dream Lottery. It's a deadline, very important deadline. We're about 17 hours away from the loyalty bonus. It's absolutely amazing opportunity to become a millionaire, support the work of St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, HSC and Children's Hospital Foundations, albeit Polo Park. Hopefully you'll come down and uh, purchase a ticket. Even if you don't, just come by and say hi. We've got tickets to a hockey game going on Sunday afternoon that you can enter for. So we'd love to see you at Polo Park between 1 and 4 this afternoon. It's actually a street hockey game in my back lane. It's not. Yeah. No, it's not. Uh, I'll be the, uh, the, the, the feature goaltender. No, no, that's not the that's, game. Oh, that's not it? No, it's a little larger one in a more formal setting. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, ooh, the lakefront cottage. Oh, it's not a cottage. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lake house on Dorothy Lake. One of these five grand prize options, including uh, $1.2 million cash. It's worth over $1.46 million. Yeah, yeah, all the toys. There's boats, truck, ATV, you name it. You get the whole kit and caboodle, a little bit of cash with that grand prize oh option. God. Absolutely unreal, man. Oh my goodness. I'm just, the, you get this massive, it's like a, it looks like a box on water where you can carry a whole bunch of people. A 2018 South Bay pontoon boat. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know nothing about boats, just that uh, they're fun. Yeah, that uh, what an incredible package, my god. It's it's life-changing, right? And of course, all the money that uh, goes to these lotteries is life-changing not only for the for patient care, but for the doctors and the practitioners, the nurses and the researchers that are trying to make things better in this these tough times, man. Uh private money, your generous donations, your generous purchases of these lottery tickets go a long way 
in bridging the gap between government funding and what what doctors and 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 nurses and the practitioners would really like to have in terms of providing life changing care for all of us. It's you know what we don't ever want to use it, but it's nice to know that when we need it, it's there. Kelly Moore, Shanley Vidal, Jeff Braun, and the omnipresent. Behind the Glass Jerry, joining myself, Greg Mackling, along with Brett McGarry. It's kind of the weekend where a lot of people head out to the lake, open up the cabin, the cottage, the lake house, whatever you call it. If you have use of said cottage, it can make for a relaxing vacation. But of course, there are chores to do, things that need to be done. Yeah. Co-owning it with someone else can be a challenge. Uh, picking weekends and prioritizing who gets what time when, who does what. What if you're going away on vacation and there are people that you might have to share a hotel room? We can talk about that as well. We're going to talk about vacation woes. We're not going to try and be a downer here, but (laughs) plain and simply, there are times when the best laid plans simply do not work out. Yep, that's right. I... uh... I, I, for example, have, you know, with my ex, when, whenever we went on vacation, it, it was unavoidable where we would get into a, a full-out fight <laughs> every time. It didn't, I still remember going being in, the, in the, the lot or wandering through MGM Grand, and we were just having a random conversation, and I said something bad, I guess, and uh, she stomped off. And let just, I thought, okay, I guess I'm just going to wander up the strip and say hello to Fat Tuesday and maybe say hello to another Fat Tuesday. And I actually had a great time by myself. <laughs> but yeah, vacations and uh, in that situation didn't go so well for me. I don't own a cottage, so I, cottage drama for me is thankfully nothing I've had to deal with. I got to hurry up and tell the story before my kids' alarm go off. And they, I don't want them to hear this story. But I once upon a time had to go to Mexico for a week with someone I'd broken up up with two weeks before Ouch. we went on vacation. Oh, that's right. <sighs> that was uh, that was interesting, shall we say. But this whole cottage thing, we'd like to hear from you, 780-6868. Do you, are you in a situation where you have to sh- where you share a cottage and it's a battle and you kind of wish you weren't in the middle of it? They're, those situations are not easy to deal with, Jeff. No. Uh, I, r- right now I'm not going through it. And, but when I was a teenager and into my 20s, my f- best friend's parents had a cottage and they were nice. They would give it to us a few weekends a year. We, it was a year round thing. We'd go a couple times in the summer, a couple times in the winter. And it was a thing where the group of buddies vastly outnumbered the number of beds in the place. <laughs> and it was who gets there first, gets first crack at a bedroom and that sort of thing. And so that, that sort of evened itself out over the years or whatever. I was pretty good at getting there early though. I was very good However, at leaving early on a Sunday morning. Oh, why, why would they you will, do that? So I wouldn't have to help clean up. Of course, that's why. You, of <laughs> course, player. I, of course, Jeff Braun would sneak out on cleaning duty. I also I, wouldn't bring any food and just. Uh, yeah, that always ends up being I'd the situation at the cabin, guy. though, with the buddies. Uh, yeah, I remember sleeping guy. in an inflatable boat. <laughs> Like an individual inflatable boat. I inside or outside the cottage? Uh, in the cottage. It was, I think, on the bathroom floor or something. I don't remember. Uh, Kelly, what about you? Well, the, the thing that often comes to, to mind for me is is not so much the sharing of the cottage, but the scenario of uh, the parents or the grandparents who own the cottage have now passed away. And so what do you do in going forward? Mm. You know, because there's some there's some younger people, who, you know, cottage life just isn't for them. They want to sell. But then there's other members of the family that want to respect the grandparents or parents' wish to keep the cottage in the family. 
I can only imagine what those discussions are like. They're kind of like you and your ex on the strip, I think. Yeah, they would. it would be tough, right? Because yeah. uh, owning a cottage is cool, but let's say you don't want to go out to the cottage. You still have to go out there anyway. Because you got to cut the grass, or you got to yeah. maintain this, uh, or you got to you got to turn the water back on from yeah. the winter and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge pain, uh, just in terms of the chores. Shanley Vidal, do you have anybody in your world who has a cottage? Uh, you know, I've only ever been invited to cottages uh, twice in my entire life. Once when I was a child, so you got to network more. Uh, clearly, I do, and you know it, it was fine those times. But I can't imagine like owning your coke, owning a cottage with somebody. Just, I mean, for one thing, all the, the work that goes into maintaining a cottage. Yeah, it'd be nice to once in a while, like on the spur of the moment, to oh, you know what, I I got an extra day. I'd like to go out go out to the lake this weekend. Oh, there's it's full of all these other people. And I mean, if you know what I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe if they're introverts like me, maybe it wouldn't be so bad, you know, because they wouldn't be talking to me and in my face all the time. <laughs> but then would be worse. They'll be introverts. So they'll be stuck in the cottage all the time like me. So or by yourself, perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, but then there's also the whole thing of, you know, you know, that's where horror stories always happen in the cottage. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Part. In the that's, cottage. Yeah, that's last what I was at. They don't lock their door. Scariest night of my life. My friends and I watched Scream 2 in the theater in the wintertime and then went out to this cottage. Oh, boy. And we're like the only people in any cottage out there. It was a pretty new development at the time. There weren't a lot of year-round cottages. And there was no curtains on any of the windows, but the moon was full and everything was just... Black and white in the branches look like the scary face guy from the saw him everywhere. <laughs> BTGG. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents' best friends had a cottage, and we would go up one weekend out of every month. And uh, there, would, whenever we went there, there, you never knew who was going to be there. There was always a ton of people there. But then in the summertime, we always got two weeks there, just our family. And uh, it, nice. Yeah, I mean, really good friends, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then uh, later on, my mom bought her own cottage, and uh, that was like the family cottage. And we were never there alone. There was always people. I felt bad for my my mom and her husband because there was always people there. They never had time alone at that cottage. Well, we are very lucky. We have a, a few sets of friends that have cottages. Two sets in particular that are always inviting us to the cottage. So I'm very grateful for that. Uh, we have another set of friends that we like to go away with every once in a while. And one year we went to Fargo, and there are two hotels with the same name in Fargo. Well, Uh our friends booked us into the not-as-new one, (laughs) shall we say, and uh, it became a little bit of a point of contention. It's a joke now, five years later. I'm a little bit of a hotel snob, and so it didn't exactly fit my criteria, but we uh, we sucked it up. I know, Shanley, you've had issues with the whole hotel thing and, and situations. I guess we're not going to be able to tell it. 30 seconds. I'll have to save that for another day. Maybe I'll have stories to tell after uh, my Hawaiian vacation. Well, That's I will right. be room sharing. And you're oh. excited about that. Have a great holiday, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you when you get back. The Lanai Cat Sanctuary? The Lanai Cat Sanctuary. And then I'm also going to be headed to the Big Island where that volcano was erupting. Yeah, have oh fun. Boy. Fun Stay times. away from the fissures. Text us your cottage drama stories, 204-780-6868. Shanley Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, Behind the Glass, Jerry. It's Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Hey, 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 it's Friday into the long... Weekend, the Royal Wedding Weekend. 
Still got to stop by at High Tea Bakery later to get myself some Imperial cookies. Oh my gosh, was that not a feast for the eyes and the senses, at light, and the tongue and the tummy and the... Oh my word, that yeah. was so good. Yeah, I was very thankful for Miss Bijou from the High Tea Bakery who stopped by yesterday and brought some treats and gave us a little bit of an education on how to have proper high tea. What was it? You need the tea, the loose leaf tea. You need the scones or scones. She says scones, but we some of our listeners said it's scones. <laughs> um, you need the, the cookies or some kind of pastries yes. and preferably uh, little finger sandwiches. That's right. Um, oh, man. And those imperial cookies. They are worth the trip to the High Tea Bakery out on Portage Avenue. Portage and Woodlawn, essentially, north side, uh, all on its own. You were playing uh, Simple Minds? No, is that Simple Minds? Yes. Breakfast Club, right? Yes, that's correct. My dad took me to see The Breakfast Club for my 15th birthday. Neat. So 33 years ago, basically this weekend, wow. is when I saw The Breakfast Club. And I can't believe how well that movie has aged. Yeah. I mean, some of the content now is a little bit uh, questionable to a certain extent, but uh, really a, a solid movie of all time. And actually, fairly recently, and within the last couple of months, I believe, the Criterion Collection had released a special edition Blu-ray. If you've never heard of the Criterion Collection, it's just this outfit that they take old movies or classic movies or whatever, and they, they give them the, the special treatment where they, you get all kinds of new bonus content, interviews, featurettes. They're very, very good packages if you're a collector or into that kind of stuff. And for the first time, they, they have revealed like 45 minutes worth of deleted scenes for The Breakfast Club. I'll have to see that. Yeah, so I meant to go out and pick that up. <clears throat> I promptly forgot about it and just remember now because you've mentioned The Breakfast Club. <laughs> you always compliment me on my math. It was my 16th birthday. 1985, oh. I turned 16. Well, <laughs> boo, you're terrible. Boo yeah, fail. Boo F. You get an F. I can do this math. The Jets need to win tonight in order to tie the Western Conference final at 2-2. Otherwise, they're coming home down three games to one for Sunday afternoon's game against the Vegas Golden Knights. Free tickets for the Whiteout Street Party went up for grabs Thursday, yesterday, for Game 5 of this Western Conference final between the Jets and Vegas Sunday. 37,500 tickets were released. Capacity for the party, though, is going to be capped at 27,000, and attendees will be admitted on a first-come, first-served basis. With only 11,000 people only, right, attending Monday's uh, matchup, uh, Senior Vice President with True North Sports and Entertainment, Kevin Donnelly, who, by the way, after the, after the party last Saturday, was out cleaning up on Donald Street, helping things get organized. He's the hardest working guy at TNSE. I am sure of it. I see him in the 300 level all the time, making sure the fan experience is A1. Uh, I don't want to go on and on, but Kevin Donnelly, if you're listening this morning, man, uh, massive props for you on the customer service side. I, I know you live and breathe it. He says they know when tickets are free that not everyone redeems them. We issued X number of tickets um, we had about 50% of the tickets we issued for the first uh, for the first ticketed street party, a little less than 50% for the second one. So we think that the ticketing portion still helps us, and so we're, we're going to continue on using tickets. Um, we are reducing the amount of tickets you can get per transaction. We heard some uh, criticism that eight per transaction was too many to put in one person's hands. So we're issuing 37,000 tickets. It's a limit of four per person. If you need more, please 
do the transaction twice. Um, but we're trying to like level the playing field as best we can. We've got 5,000 tickets for people that don't have a cell phone or don't have access to the Internet readily. We've printed 5,000 tickets for here at the, at the Bell MTS Place box office. You can just walk up. They're free, limit of four per. Um, but we still feel confident that that the invitation comes with the ticket. If you have a ticket, come on down. Um, and, and that that ratio that, you know, 66 or 75% of them will get used, we're, we're comfortable with that, and we can accommodate those people that will, will come on Sunday afternoon. Police Chief Danny Smythe says the decision to add tickets in the first place was, and still is, to control the size of the crowd and maintain safety. If people have to, you know, evacuate the arena or get out of that footprint in a hurry. We want to make sure that the the space is there so that people can can uh, safely do that. So there's a combination of things going on. We want to match our capacity to uh, to manage these things with with what we expect in the uh, crowd capacity. So in part, that's why the the ticketing process came into play. The response was so overwhelming that we were worried it was going to outpace our capacity. You are also now allowed to pick up your tickets at the Street Party Gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, tickets are also available online at Ticketmaster, and they're going to have 5,000 printed tickets available at the Bell MTS Place box office for those who don't have access. Uh, not everyone has access to the Internet to, to download your tickets. or what have you, right? Yep. So this, uh, this is a great compromise. I know people have been up in arms when they sent out the press release announcing this system. I said to you right away, oh boy, this could be a misstep. I understand why they're doing it. And once again, we've never, this is uncharted territory. So they're learning as they go. And uh, hopefully we'll see uh, tens of thousands of people at the party on Sunday afternoon. Guido Amsel found guilty on four counts of attempted murder after a series of bombs were sent out to various locations in Winnipeg in the summer of 2015. To tell us more about this, Global News reporter Christian O'Mell joining us live in studio. Christian, good morning. Good morning, Brett and Greg. Yes, it was uh, a verdict that was about 37 minutes long, delivered by Justice Tracy Lord. And there was also an incident in 2013, Brett, where there was an explosion at Iris Amsel's house. Uh, That is the ex-wife of Guido Amsel. So there were two counts of attempted murder on her life in this and then one on lawyer Maria Matusis. We've heard her story. We've had her on our airwaves a number of times. She lost her right hand when she opened a package at her office on River Avenue in 2015. And then there was another package sent to a law firm on Stradbrook where police were able to safely detonate that one. And the delivery from Justice Lord focused on a lot of things. It talked about what burdens of proof have to be reached, kind of summarized the case and she had to determine the credibility of all the witnesses. She said everyone was credible except one person, and that was Guido Amsel. He testified on his behalf. He was the only witness that the defense called, and Justice Lord really uh, took to task pretty much everything Amsel had to say. Much of Mr. Amsel's evidence focused on allegations and accusations about those involved in this case. The allegations were based on nothing more than speculation on his part, resulting in conclusory statements that lacked factual or logical foundation. The remainder of Mr. Amsel's evidence consisted of various attempts to provide innocent explanations for otherwise incriminating evidence. These explanations are, in my view, entirely too remote 
and coincidental when viewed in the context of the evidence as a whole to be credible. Mr. Amsel offered a final explanation for why his DNA was found on Exhibit X, which suggests a rather elaborate conspiracy involving his former legal counsel, the Crown Attorney, the Winnipeg Police Service, and perhaps someone from within the RCMP National Forensic Laboratory itself. The explanation for his theory, according to Mr. Amsel, is based largely on his recollection of when his former counsel, Mr. Glazer, phoned him to advise that his DNA had been found on Exhibit X. I do not find Mr. Amsel's testimony regarding any of these allegations to be believable or credible. His evidence overall, when considered in the context of the evidence as a whole, does not raise a reasonable doubt. I do not accept his explanations, and they do not raise a reasonable doubt for the presence of his DNA. A lot of Amsel's testimony raised eyebrows, right? When he was talking about being a high DNA emitter yes, or Yes, so he, one of the things he said was <laughs> about, there was a pouch that was found at the scene of Marie Matusas' office, and he said, well, my DNA could have gotten on that at Dollarama because I shop there a lot, and I mm-hmm. touch things when I go shopping with my kids. And Justice Lord said no. Uh, she also said that she accepts that Amsel believes a lot of the things he said, but also said that those things didn't happen. Wow. So that's where we are now. The sentencing will come at a later date. It doesn't happen right away. It usually takes months before we get a sentencing date. They're going to talk about it next week. They're going to meet uh, lawyers will to discuss when this will happen. Uh, we had Mike Cook on, defense lawyer, and... It sounds like it could be a long time. You can get life in prison for one charge of attempted murder. He has four. Those could be served consecutively or concurrently. It depends on what the justice decides to do. The Crown will likely ask for a lot because this is someone who targeted the law community and lawyers are going to be protecting lawyers in this case. Well, not to mention there's a chance of an appeal. So Mm -hmm. this is uh, not the end of the story, to be sure. That's just a majestic section of strings from behind the glass, Jerry. Practicing, he's learning some new tricks. The bagpipes today? <laughs> I think that was a violin, wasn't that it? That was my violin. Yeah, it sounds like bagpipes. You might want to practice better. Yeah, it also kind of sounded like a squealing pig or something. <laughs> so, well done, Jerry. Thank you. And that's squealing the music. Squealing pig was what I was going for. That's the music we play when it's time for the couch potatoes. Jeff Braun's here. Hey, Jeff. Yo. So you saw the first Deadpool, right? I did see the first Deadpool. What did you think? I enjoyed it. It was fun. Greg, you see it? <laughs> I I hate to admit that I loved it. Why do you hate to admit that? Well, because it's kind of vulgar. It's kind of outside my comfort zone when it comes to entertainment, uh, the language, and some of the things that are done are not really my thing. So it's kind of like, uh, what was that? Um, the, the I thought show? you liked bad language in TV yeah, movies, Yeah, I, I do, but the, the, this it's just a little bit over the edge for me. What mm. is that one where they used to do the pranks on each other? Jackass. Like and Spenny? Jackass. And I always felt guilty about liking Jackass, too. So, <laughs> oh. Well, Jack, I saw Jackass number two in the theater, uh, packed house, and uh, watching it with other people definitely made it more fun. 
Because I, I tried to watch it at home, and I thought, this is stupid. <laughs> I so. usually watched it with my brothers. and Yeah, I've got one brother. Once he starts laughing, forget it. Everybody Deadpool's else fun, too. though, because like up until the first one came out, the superhero movies took themselves far too seriously. Way too seriously. And the fact that it's Ryan Reynolds, hello. Hello. Well, here's a clip. Actually, that may have been me. Yeah, so you, clearly it's a movie that takes itself seriously. If you're not familiar with Deadpool, he is a mutant with the ability to heal himself really fast, kind of like Wolverine. And the first one in February 20... Was it 15 or 16? I've got 2016 in here, but I think sounds, it was... Oh, sounds right. Okay, anyway. Uh, yeah, it was a big hit. $783 million. Yeah, Oops. February 12, 2016. And it, that's certainly not bad for an R-rated superhero movie, uh, primarily for a character that not many people knew existed, right? I never heard of him before. Yeah. So now in Deadpool 2, he's matched up with Josh Brolin, who plays a partly mechanical mutant from the future named Cable. My name's Cable. I'm here for the kid. What? The kid? Move or die. So, one of the cool things about this, Terry Crews is in it. He's in everything lately. We just, uh, we're going to tell you about a movie uh, on uh, the Couch Potatoes over the weekend where he plays someone's uncle. Of course, uh, he's in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yep. Uh, so he's going to play a, a character named Bedlam. And returning characters include Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead, which I just love because <laughs> I love the song by Monster Magnet. Did they name the song after the X-Men? I guess they must have. No, they named the character after the song. Oh, really? I believe okay. that's how it went down. I've, I've also, I won't spoil it, but I have read other spoilers that there's a couple of other uh, X-Men that show up in this movie. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. I'm hearing spoilers about Vanessa as well, about his girlfriend. Oh, I don't want to know that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, the fact that he's from Regina does taint it a little bit. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Uh, so that's Deadpool 2. Uh, second movie that's coming out, uh, it's called Book Club. And, and what did you say as it pertains to your, your mom? I said it's probably my mom's new favorite movie. How could it not be? It's, it sounds terrific, this book club. Here's a clip. Hi, beautiful friends. I would like to introduce you to Christian Grey. Oh, no. We started this book club to stimulate our minds. From what I hear, this book is quite stimulating. The first rule of book club is you do not talk about book club. No, I'm just kidding. Where's uh, it the stars line? Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen, and Mary Steenburgen, and they're a group of friends, and they sort of reignite their love life, I guess, thanks to <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever. <laughs> but it looks like it looks like a hoot, actually. Every time I see that trailer, I sort of get more and more excited about it myself. Well, it's got such a great cast. Here's uh, another clip. Dude. Have you ever been spanked? What? This book has got me in a total tizzy. Give me the zip ties. Are you thinking about tying me up? What? Nothing is just... If women our age were meant to have sex, God wouldn't do what he does to our bodies. Speak for yourself. Well, that was not God. That was Dr. Nazarian. See, Greg's in. One of the more famous uh, <laughs> uh, plastic surgeons in Hollywood, right? Yep. That's really good. I, I, I love it. Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, yeah, Candace Bergen, Mary Steenburgen. What a, what a cast. And then Richard Dreyfus, Craig T. Nelson, Don Johnson, and uh, one of Jeff's uh, least favorite actors, Andy Garcia. What is it about Andy Garcia you don't like? Uh, I don't know. It's... He's sort of like, oh, what's her name from Groundhog Day and Four Weddings and Andy McDowell, where it's you can just see it's 
It's an Andy thing. You're just watching the guy act. It's an Andy thing. It is an Andy thing. That's a bad name for an actor. <laughs> so you can, well, that's kind of. It just feels it. like you can, you can really notice that they're acting. Mm. I don't know. It doesn't feel it. natural. No. Mm. Uh, yeah, so Book Club, that's coming out this weekend. I think it looks good. If you're not into superhero stuff and Book Club doesn't uh, tantalize you, well, there's something for, I, I guess, the little kids would enjoy. This one, Will Arnett and Ludacris star in Show Dogs. I'm Max. I'm an undercover cop working a kidnapping case. A baby panda was stolen, and they're using the dog show as a front for animal smuggling. Why are there dogs in this meeting? That's what partners are for. What is happening in this town? Let's take these smugglers down. They're cops and they're partners, but Ludacris is a dog. A talking dog. Talking uh, so Will Arnett can hear him or just inner monologue talk. No, I believe that Will Arnett can can hear him. So it's like uh, Turner and Hooch, but cranked up a notch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the dogs talk to each other, and they have to infiltrate a fancy dog show in Vegas to get to the bad guys. I don't know about you guys, but I hear Will Arnett's voice, and uh, my man crush meter goes way off the charts. Yeah. I love Will Arnett. He's guys, super funny. I love him. Is he your favorite part of Arrested Development, Jeff? I think so, and that's back on the 29th. Oh, nice. Go to that on the the Netflix. The Netflix, yep, season five. Jerry was telling me that they recut season four. Did you know that? Yeah, they made it chronological because it used to... Oh, bounced around, right? Yeah. So I I haven't watched it yet. I'd rather just watch it the original way. You watched it, right, Jerry? Yeah, I thought it was great. Cool. Okay, well, I haven't still haven't watched an episode of Arrested <laughs> Development. I definitely won't be watching Show Dogs, but again, like I said, it looks like fun for the kids. Show Dogs. What's that? Bikini wax? It's payback time. Uh, uh, wait. What? The pain passes, but the beauty shall remain. That was the voice of Stanley Tucci, by the way. Also in the supporting voice cast, Alan Cumming, RuPaul, and Shaquille O'Neal. Not bad. A little Shaq action. Shaq attack. Yeah, I'm still waiting for the sequel for uh, Kazam. No, you're not. <laughs> you're Nobody's right. waiting for that. <laughs> what about Steel? Jerry's probably waiting for the sequel for Steel. because That, that was, was a such spin-off. a horrible, horrible movie. <laughs> the fact that you even saw it. It's he a sort of obligation. Super, Superman canon. He had to, right? Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> 7.45. Thank you very much, Jeff Brock. Was it Julia Roberts in Runaway Bride? I'm, I'm wondering uh, what would happen if uh, Prince Harry decided to be the runaway groom. Yeah, it was, oh, it was uh, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. There we go. They, they re-teamed. That's right. He was like a journalist or something doing a story about uh, this idea, this woman that had been to the altar a handful of times and always ran away mm-hmm. before that she they could uh, perform the nuptials, as they say. <laughs> but 24 hours from now, we anticipate Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will be a married couple. So, yes, that's right. And we are uh, getting ready to be joined by Global News reporter Cindy Palm, who is in Windsor. Uh, We're just connecting with her at the moment. Um, People have been camped out for days Mm. in advance of this event. I guess it's kind of like a a Super Bowl. And Cindy Palm joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Cindy, how many people are camped out for this thing? 
Well, actually, just driving by here to our bureau, we saw people in tents. Uh, people have been camped out literally across the street from Windsor Castle. We met these two Canadian friends who have been here since Wednesday. They've been trying to get a front row seat. So people are literally waiting in anticipation. Uh, everywhere you go, you see the Union Jack outside pubs, restaurants, all kinds of shops. There are pictures of Meghan and Harry everywhere. So this really has turned into uh, quite the the tourist town as everyone anticipates the big day. Now, I was seeing an article on CNN discussing how police are, are dealing with uh, folks in England that are experiencing homelessness. Here's the, uh, here's the headline. Windsor's homeless are giving up their belongings before the royal wedding as the world media descends on Windsor ahead of the royal wedding. On Saturday, the town's homeless population have found themselves in the spotlight. Reports that homeless people's belongings were being removed by police to be stored securely over the weekend are being met with outrage on social media. I guess the the gist here is the fact that, you know, with all these people, with all these dignitaries in place, that security as is of utmost concern, and this would prevent police from having to search all these belongings that folks might be toting around with uh, time and time again. Security is definitely of utmost priority. I mean, when you just walk outside, you see all of the police uh, that are here. You see the fenced off areas. And according to local police, no one is being forced to give up their belongings, that it is voluntary. But as you say, this is something that is causing a bit of outrage on social media as well. Is it true that Meghan Markle's dress is costing around $135,000 American? It's definitely a dress that is... Uh, Probably more expensive than the dresses that we will purchase for our weddings in our <laughs> lifetime. Uh, but then again, this is a uh, once-in-a-lifetime type of wedding, a royal wedding. Uh, and we're also learning some new news today, actually. The Kensington Palace announced that uh, Prince Charles will be walking Meghan Markle down the aisle. Um, because we, we didn't know up until yesterday who would be walking her down the aisle. It was supposed to be her father. Uh, but then there are reported concerns over his health. The word was that he had surgery this week. And, of course, there's been a lot of controversy uh, regarding her side of the family with the photos that the father took um, that were allegedly staged. So now we're hearing that she will be joined down the aisle by Prince Charles. Well, now, was that on anyone's radar? Would you have predicted that when we spoke to you yesterday, Cindy? His name was definitely up there, and uh, according to royal experts, they said that he, he was one of the favorites. This is a way to really welcome her into the royal family. But what's interesting, though, is that this isn't your typical walk down the aisle, because, in fact, Meghan will be walking for half of it by herself, and she'll only be accompanied by Prince Charles for the part that leads to the altar. So really, this is in many ways pretty symbolic as well. Megan, uh, in, in, in a, what is a very untraditional wedding, in many senses, uh, will be walking by herself. She'll be joined by her bridesmaids and page boys, uh, little children who will be uh, following behind her, and before being joined by Prince Charles for the rest of the walk to the altar. Do we have any idea what this thing is going to cost? 
This uh, wedding is definitely uh, not going to be your typical wedding. Um, there were some figures that that were given out. Uh, it'll be costing in you know over. Uh, it will be costing millions and millions of dollars. Um, Kensington Palace uh, giving out some official numbers, uh, but this is par for the course for uh, other other similar uh, types of royal weddings that that we've had in the past. All right, Cindy Palm, Global News reporter, joining us live from Windsor. Thank you very much, Cindy. Thank you. 755 on 680 CJOB. Have you seen the $43.4 million number? I have. Mm-hmm. That's an estimate, of course. Uh, one number started at $1.4 million is kind of the low end, and depending on who's paying for what, Yeah. Uh, the taxpayer's on the hook for a big chunk of this. Well, and it looks like a lot of this is due to the uh, the, the costs of security. Right. Because they're going to have snipers and undercover police, and it looks like that alone... Just the security costs could be uh, $30 million. So the wedding itself, maybe not all that. I mean, that's still a $3 million wedding, <laughs> which is a lot more than the fifteen to 30000 you might spend here in Winnipeg. Right, and uh, I think that is um, up massively from uh, Wills and Kate's uh, wedding. I think it was about $8 million was the budget for security for that wedding. Oh, so. little brother. <laughs> Stealing the thunder. He's always doing it. Always doing it. <laughs> it's Macklin McGarry on CJOB. City gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a what manner of nonsense is this auto tune, Viva Las Vegas? That's DJ Bobo. DJ Bobo. Well, Bobo. I think that the well is starting to run dry in Jerry's uh, Viva Las Vegas commentary. Uh, that sounds like a challenge. It I'm is not a challenge. Sure you should be issuing. It is a challenge to find something that's by <laughs> that is performed by an actual human being and not uh, some robot. And I will admit, though, it's a catchy version. Who's the name of that guy on the strip that you were telling Brittany to find? I thought it was Mr. Bobo. Cotton Candy, the, oh, the Bam guy. Bam, Bam. Did you find Bam, Brittany? No, I haven't found Bam. I don't know where he is. I feel like maybe he's taking the week off. I yeah, maybe. Not, I haven't seen him. I, I've been looking. He has not appeared yet, but I am loving all of these uh, Viva Las Vegas remixes, I have to say. <laughs> so game four tonight, Brittany, and uh, the back and forth between Jets and Golden Knights fans is heating up a little bit, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, wherever you go, there's always that little bit of the back and forth between between the fans. For the most part, fans are always respectful and um, nice. There's, there's a little bit of, you know, the jabs back and forth, and we've seen the people here as they're walking around. As soon as you say, go Jets, go, you have somebody run up behind in a, in a Golden Knights jersey saying, no, go, go Golden Knights, go. Um, but we have seen the other side of it, unfortunately. And um, I do want to say, I know I, I know a couple of people who really got heckled pretty badly when they left the last game. Um, and and some of them that, that live in Vegas and even said, you know, I live here, I love this city. Yes, I'm cheering for a different team than you, but let's all be respectful. So we'll see what happens tonight. Um, I know that there was two full planes that were coming down from Winnipeg yesterday, full of Jets fans. So there's... Definitely going to be more Winnipeg Jets fans here tonight than we saw during the last game. Of course, this is the Friday going into the long weekend. So I think people using that as an excuse. Um, 
we we'll see tonight. Jets fans uh, have not given up yet. So are you going to the game tonight in a work capacity or are you just going to the game? No, I'm going tonight in a work capacity for sure, yes. Okay. Uh, so in, in, while you've been down there working, what other stories have you uncovered as you've been meeting and tracking down various Manitobans? You know what? One of the things that we've, we've seen down here is um, a lot of people that have moved down to Las Vegas, which for me, I always thought that was kind of different. I didn't realize that so many people moved down here to live down here, but people live in Las Vegas. You don't just need to, to be a tourist down here. But we've had some, some really interesting stories of people reconnecting with friends, uh, specifically through the Jets. We've seen rivalries. I've spoken to some people that have lived down here and then uh, embraced the Golden Knights. Um, some that are season ticket holders and are now feeling, you know, really torn between which team to cheer for. And the ones I've spoken to, yes, of course, are cheering for the Jets still, but have said, you know, Vegas has really embraced this team like nobody expected. Um, one of the reasons that we've heard from people that live here, people that were born here, um, even from the cab drivers that I've spoken to, that have said this was really embraced um, because of the shooting that happened in October. And that shooting and the home opener were so close together that the team helped people in Las Vegas come together as a community. Um, people weren't ex not didn't really know what to expect from an NHL team, I've heard. And when you have the players come out and do fundraising efforts and get into the community, especially after such a tragedy like that, this city needed that and it brought everybody together in a way that I don't think anybody was expecting. And that's the one thing we've heard time and time again from everybody down here is that they helped bring this community through that tragedy and help everybody um, move past it. Global Television's Brittany Greenslade joining us from Las Vegas. And last night around 7 o'clock, local time reports of a masked man with a long gun in a mall in Las Vegas must have had a lot of people nervous. I think um, we all want to hear it can't happen here. We, I know we think that in Winnipeg, we hear that all the time. Um, that tragedy in October really put everybody on edge. So every time you hear about that, I know even when we were in Nashville, we heard some of, um, some of those issues that were going on around that city at that time. And people here really just trying to move forward, move past all of it. And when you hear about something like that, of course it puts people on edge, but they've got hockey to look forward to. And, and again, that, that team really bringing everyone together as a community. And it's going to be interesting tonight because we know that the Jets have not lost three games in a row uh, this entire season. And they haven't lost two games back-to-back -back since February. And that's, this was the first time in the playoffs. So uh, everybody looking forward to hoping to continue that streak and making sure that we don't break it all right Brittany greenslade global television thank you for joining us we'll talk to you again next hour okay all right see you later kelly moore joins us now 8 36 we're about well 12 hours from now we'll be probably in about the second intermission in tonight's jets golden knights game jets trying to battle back from a 2-1 series deficit first time they've lost two games in a row in this playoffs season, Kelly, and of course the first time they're finding themselves behind. Uh, uh.
Are the fans panicking? No, uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't really <laughs> pay a, a whole lot of attention to that. But I do know that uh, it's kind of interesting how the reporting on this series has kind of shifted. Coming out of the opener Saturday night, uh, when the Jets skated to the 4-2 win, you know, a lot of stories about how great Mark Shifley was playing, about how this team looked like a, a solid contender to end the Canadian Stanley Cup curse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Two losses later... And, you know, the, the, the tide has shifted. So uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, W.B. Ramirez, I think, an associated press writer out of Las Vegas, wrote this story about, you know, how the, the Jets have completely run out of gas. And, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess he didn't watch the third period. Well, again, you know, it's everybody's perspective. Sure. You know, we're all allowed to have our own views on what goes I on. I get it. I don't, I don't see that myself. Right. I saw a spectacular net mining performance by Marc-Andre Fleury. And as Paul Stastny said on the clip at 725, if he does that again, then tip your cap to him. 100%. You know, but they don't believe in that dressing room that Marc-Andre Fleury can keep him off the board forever. And uh, it is kind of a Winnipeg thing, though, sometimes to to go into this, oh, the sky is falling. I mean, oh, I remember yeah. how the season started. They lost, they went 0-2, and people yes. were saying, fire the coach. Oh, yes. <laughs> I remember that very well. Yeah, and fire the general manager, too. And now uh, the GM is up for GM of the year. The coach didn't make it, although uh, some suggested he should. But, yeah, you know, and, and the emotion is what makes you a fan. You know, oh. so all of that is is and, and Greg, I don't, I'm not sharing anything here. I mean, you go through the emotional ups and downs, hundred percent, probably do. more so than anybody else in this building. <laughs> yes, I, you know, I live in, yeah. and die with the team to a certain extent, but I try to keep, I try to remain, you know, as a, a as an observer, realistic about what they're doing. And I've rewatched uh, parts of of Game Three and was very impressed with yeah. a lot of the things the Jets found in their game that they didn't seem to find, even in games one and games two. So I, I'm quite optimistic about what they're able to do. But what can you say about Mark Shifley? I was at MTS Center at the time, watching on the big screen when Kevin Sheveldayoff handed that NHL jersey mm-hmm. to one Mark Shifley. And what he's done in this playoffs is absolutely spectacular. Uh, he, he's creating quite a legacy for himself well, already. I believe the description that night was an off-the-board pick by the Winnipeg Jets. Mm. And then, of course, there were the comparisons to Sean Couturier, who has taken a pick later by the Philadelphia Flyers and probably developed by the Flyers a little quicker uh, than Mark Shifley was by the Winnipeg Jets. But, uh, you know, the it is the patient approach of Kevin Sheveldayoff and the rest of that organization that, uh, you know, certainly has turned Mark Shifley into uh, a player who right now is scoring goals at a pace greater than anybody since the Flin Flon bomber, Reggie Leach, uh, back in the 1974-70, well, the 75 playoffs, I guess, for the Philadelphia Flyers. The Riverton Rifle himself. The Riverton Rifle, you bet. I was trying to remember the nickname for him. Thank you. So, you know, and what Shifley is doing, it's not only uh, how many goals he's scoring, it's when he's scoring those goals 
that are so incredibly important for the Winnipeg Jets. But, uh, you know, they're, they're the one storyline that I will agree with, and I know Paul Friesen from the Winnipeg Sun kind of picked up on this even before the back-to-back losses, and that is the goals are coming from one source, and at some point you need to get help from other areas of the team. So that'll be something I think to look for tonight, that some of those other lines are going to say, hey, we have got to start picking things up ourselves. But they cannot, they must not abandon the defensive style that they have played in order to think that they've got to go on all-out offense. I agree with Paul Maurice, who yesterday said, it's pretty dangerous to start talking about offense when you know what it is that's going to take to win eventually. Now, you've pulled uh, a series of clips here, a couple from Kevin Dayoff, one from Adam Lowry. Did you want us to fire one well, of these? Well, yeah, I, because Greg brought up the conversation about Mark Shifley. I think that's the one that where Kevin Dayoff explains uh, how the scenario unfolded at that very first draft. You know, we had just taken over the franchise, uh, you know, had lots of decisions uh, to make, and one of the first meetings that we had was within our amateur scouting group and talked about the list and talked about, you know, where that uh, where that was and, and who might be available in our in our pick. But we talked more so about, you know, our philosophy, and it wasn't so much about just that year. It was going to be about how we wanted to build, how we... Um, you know, felt we needed to um, acquire players, what type of people, what type of players um, that we wanted to acquire. And, you know, really it was after those conversations that, you know, we kind of opened the floor and that's where, you know, again, the the staff to a man said, you know, if if this player is available, we'd like to draft them. And you don't truly know, you know, what that means at that point in time, you know, as far as the impact that he's going to make in the future or, or if that player is going to be available. But, um, you know, we were very fortunate that, uh, um, you know, our group, uh, you know, showed the courage to step up and take him. Um, but all this doesn't happen if, if a player like Mark Shifley doesn't take it upon himself to be the best that he's going to be. That 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 truly is development. And, um, you know, we, we put the pieces, we put the, the processes, we put the opportunities in front of them. But in this game, it's about the players and it's about how they take that opportunity. And, um, you know, Mark Shifley is one of the most driven players that I've ever been around. And, um, you know, so it's not a surprise that he's taking his game to another level. But I think there's even more. You know, I think that there's even more in a Mark Shifley that we, we haven't even seen yet. And, and that's what makes him exciting. And that's what makes him so proud, uh, us so proud to, uh, to have him as part of our organization. How lucky they are to have a player who's self expressed intent is yeah. to become the number one hockey player in the world. That's his goal. Yeah, and and I think that it speaks volumes that uh, he does that through his actions both on and off the ice. Uh, and, and certainly with the way he's performing in these playoffs right now, like 14 goals in 15 games. The record's 19, right? 19 by the Riverton Rifle. So, you know, uh, for Mark Shifley, to could, I think to get there, the, the Winnipeg Jets need to get to the Stanley Cup Finals. So game four tonight is certainly a tantamount to that happening. And what time does it start? Seven. Well, the game itself, once they get through the anthems <laughs> and that, will be about 7.15. And that, in Vegas, the and that is quite spectacular. 
spectacular yeah. or cheesy, depending on what side of it is you're on. And very quickly, if you're tuning in to catch the national anthems, the guy who sings and and did the nice pause for True North is actually uh, he's one of the guys that uh, is uh, on the gondolas at uh, the Venetian. Oh, oh wow. really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's where he was discovered. So, well, that yeah. was that was pretty classy, and I yeah, guess very uh, much so. The game yeah. on NBC as well tonight. So if you want to yep. hear Eddie O uh, call do the color, you're uh, welcome to do that as well. And you have lots of options, but people are hoping for one result. Thank you, Kelly. Kelly Moore joining us to talk about ice hockey. <laughs> oh, come on, do it! Do it! The North American Ice Hockey League Championships! Escalating tension between British Columbia and Alberta over the expansion, the proposed expansion to this point, of the Trans Mountain Pipeline was supposed to be a done deal. The Alberta government passed Bill 12, which allows limits on fuel exports to British Columbia. That passed the Alberta legislature Wednesday to talk about the atmosphere in Alberta, about this very serious situation, unprecedented, if I may say so. We are joined by Ryan Jesperson, host of The Ryan Jesperson Show on 6.30, Ched, in Edmonton. Ryan, good morning. Hey, good morning. Appreciate you taking some time, Ryan. I can't imagine we're talking about uh, pretty much nothing else but hockey in Winnipeg right now. I can only imagine that at coffee shops, the primary point of discussion is this tiff, this rift between Alberta and British Columbia. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, I mean, you had to point out that the Canucks nor the Oilers uh, reached this point that your Jets did in the season. We'd much rather be talking about hockey. Uh, And, of course, what a postseason it's been for your Winnipeg Jets. But you're absolutely right. Uh, Whether it's uh, the bar top tables or laundromats or water coolers, uh, everywhere you go in Alberta right now, in one way, shape, or form, in one context or another, you're going to hear people talking about pipelines, and you use the word unprecedented. And I think that's very important because uh, Manitobans know, as do your neighbors to the west in Saskatchewan, those of us here in Alberta, and of course our neighbors in B.C., us western provinces are, are kind of used to sticking together, and we're kind of used to fighting Ottawa together, at least in mentality, at least in spirit. So to be going to war uh, economically and legislatively with British Columbians, and most particularly with residents uh, in the greater Vancouver and Burnaby areas, uh, it's a very strange feeling for those of us here in Alberta. Now, Alberta, of course, is getting ready, I guess, to deal with uh, lawsuits because B.C. looking to file a lawsuit against Alberta over the legislation. Uh, Their attorney general saying they're going to ask an Alberta court to declare the legislation unconstitutional on the grounds that one province cannot punish another. But in a way, isn't that kind of what B.C. is doing by throwing up all these roadblocks? I mean, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. And everybody, everybody here in Alberta, uh, including representatives, spokespersons, and ministers uh, in the Alberta government, and for that matter, Premier Notley herself, are scoffing at the suggestion from B.C.'s Attorney General E.B., uh, from Premier Horgan and others, that Alberta's Bill 12 is unconstitutional because the entire reason that we're all in this mess in the first place, uh, the entire reason that the province of Alberta is having to introduce legislation that would, in theory, allow it to turn off the taps to BC is because British Columbia is taking uh, what Alberta deems to be unconstitutional action 
uh, in its fighting a federally approved pipeline. So, you know, Alberta's position in this thing the entire time has been uh, the fight that British Columbia has right now is not with Alberta. The fight that British Columbia needs to have right now is with Ottawa. And I think it's safe to say, and I think it's probably the understatement of the year, that the prime minister has really shown a lack of leadership on this one. Ryan, uh, just before we let you go here, we got about a minute, minute and a half for this answer. One of the rumors I'm hearing, one of the conversations happening behind, maybe not closed doors, but maybe uh, more in the in the darker corners, is that Alberta may not shut down the pipeline to British Columbia, but what they may do is replace jet fuel and refined gasoline in that pipeline with pure bitumen. Is that something you've heard? Well, and, and the, I mean, this is the, this is the entire premise uh, of of this Bill 12 legislation. This is. This is the Preserving Canada's Economic Prosperity Act. So you're right. I mean, if British Columbia can successfully argue that Alberta is, you know, quote unquote, turning off the taps in a punitive measure to to influence gas prices in Vancouver, as an example, they may find success. But the Alberta government reserves the right uh, to preserve what it needs when it comes to pipeline capacity. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we may not have the capacity for the fuels that these refineries in Burnaby need. We may need all of our capacity, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, to transport bitumen, which would leave Vancouver residents in a really tough spot. Ryan Jesperson, host of the Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Ched in Edmonton. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks, fellas. Bright lights, city, gonna set my soul. It's gonna set my soul on fire. Yep, yep. Going back to Las Vegas, Brittany Greenslade. Very important assignment. How are you doing, Brett? I'm good. I just want to, for a moment, Brett has never had salmon. Correct. Cooked salmon before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That As is a correct. West Coaster, I am highly offended. Yeah, yeah. We have to rectify that this summer, right, Brittany? Yeah. That's, You're offended. Yeah, that's bad. That's really, oh, yes, oh, oh. That, that's really bad. Well, you can wipe your tears uh, on your cushy uh, hotel pillow at New York, New York with your with your very difficult work assignment. <laughs> you know what? I'd like to step out at this point. Look at the starkiness going back and forth, but it doesn't quite, doesn't quite uh, compared to the snarkiness going back and forth between two entities that I don't think any of us would imagine would be going back and forth. We're, we're used to being shushed at the library, but the Winnipeg Public Library and the Las Vegas Public Library Twitter accounts are going back and forth at one another at an insane rate. I love this story. You know what? I really love um, the chirping aspect of sports, and I love the fact that the libraries are getting in on this, <laughs> and the Winnipeg Public Library, not something you would think. The Winnipeg Public Library has been doing this every round of the playoffs, uh, and they've been getting in on the action. They What they do is they stack books um to do with whoever we're playing. And so they've, they've come out this time against the Golden Knights and saying, you know, are, are you, are you ready for some Twitter face-offs to the library? This is, come on, how, you don't get much better than this. Yeah. So they put the- some books on hold. <laughs> it's, 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 it's brilliant. If you haven't seen this, it's at WPG library. They've done this every round. Um, it's hilarious. They've got a stack now. Knights in training. Yes. Uh, got talent. <laughs> 
It's beautiful. <laughs> and saying to them, you know, to be honest, we think uh, the Golden Knights, we think as of being in training, our NHL Jets have talent. Ability and, uh, and the speed. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. It's fantastic. Yes. They stack the books on their side so you can read the spines, and it kind of makes a, a sort of a derogatory uh, smackdown, right? And the Golden Knights go- coming back with uh, Hey Canada is the first book. Then the second one is Fool Me Once. And then it's a JJ Sensational Mestry. Keep your, uh, uh, take your eye off the puck, artistry on ice, and why don't <laughs> jumbo jets flap their wings? So it's, uh, it's, Guys, it's it really is an cool. Academic smackdown. Academic smackdown. Love it. <laughs> I love it. And you know what? It's not just the libraries that are getting in on it. We are seeing the chirping going on all around town. Um, some of the best signs I've seen um, when outside one of the restaurants here uh, kind of hurts a little bit, but it says in Canada, you win a peg in Vegas, you win a cup. So Brittany, uh, you're in Vegas. Everyone, everyone likes to go to ga- to Vegas to gamble and bet uh, tons of sports betting in Vegas. Have you pulled up any odds regarding what's happening in the, the playoffs? Yes. And uh, obviously after game three, those odds changed a little bit. Um, but we've been keeping an eye on them right now, uh, according to Money Pack, which is one of the ones that uh, we've used a couple times during uh, these playoffs. They actually have 64.9% of the Golden Knights making the finals, uh, Winnipeg 35.1. But winning uh, round three in seven games would be Winnipeg with the higher odds of that one, 23.1% as opposed to Vegas in 15. So if we go to a game seven, they're giving uh, that edge to Winnipeg. Not going to take that long. Just go, no, but let's hope not. Uh, I don't think anybody wants to see the, the guys go to a, another game seven uh, round because that just obviously takes it, takes a toll on them. But yeah, those odds changed a little bit. But hey, Winnipeg is all about beating the odds, right? You betcha. Tampa Bay uh, tied things up with Washington after the Capitals stealing two in Tampa. The Lightning go back and do the same to Washington. I expect the Jets to get one tonight. We come back Sunday afternoon tied 2-2. Britt, this has been a blast all week. We'll talk to you uh, over the weekend, uh, whether it's on the air or otherwise. Talk to you guys later. All right, Brittany Greenslade from Global Television. Thank you very much for joining us live from Las Vegas. For those of you that aren't leaving town this weekend, maybe you're sticking around for the Jets game on Sunday. Lots to do in the city, including, I can't believe it's been 30 years since the St. Norbert Farmer's Market opened for the first time. To tell us more, we're joined by Marilyn Firth, who is executive director of the St. Norbert Farmer's Market. Marilyn, good morning to you. Good morning. So 30 years of the St. Norbert Farmer's Market, and there's something a little bit different this year with where the market is housed. That's right. We have a brand new canopy. We're super excited about it um, because it's going to give our our vendors a much nicer place to um, sell their goods and obviously a nicer place for visitors to come and see as well. How has this grown and how has this changed over the 30 years? Marilyn, I don't know if you've been involved this entire time. I'm going to guess perhaps not, but (laughs) (laughs) how has it changed though? 
Um, well, it's actually, I haven't been involved. You're right from the very beginning. I've been with the market for about 11 years. But um, the market itself started in 1988, uh, eight vendors on just basically a piece of grass. And uh, I always love my favorite story about, about uh, those days is, is them telling me that basically they would just kind of hang out with each other and, and trade products because there are so few people coming out at that time. <laughs> <laughs> basically like uh, trading uh, uh, hockey cards or baseball cards with your friends, right? Exactly. Yeah. You give me a little honey, I give you some strawberries, you know, we have a good time. So, I mean, it has, and it has grown very, it's actually a really nice the way it's grown. It's grown very organically, quite slowly over the years, just developing and developing and developing until now we have about 130 vendors at our market. And of course, it's not just a little grassy knoll anymore. So what kind of stuff can, can one get at a farmer's market if they've never been? Well, you know, the wonderful thing about our farmer's market is that everything you're going to purchase there is made, baked, or grown right here in Manitoba. So it's 100% local. So everything is local at our market, and that's wonderful. And you can get just about anything you'd like to be able to find. There's all kinds of baked goods, um, vegetables. It's a, been a late spring, but there will still be some vegetables out this uh, this, this early. All kinds of meats. Um, you can get crafts of all kinds, jewelry, um, things for your home, some furniture even. Like if you have a guy that makes um, wooden furniture. So you can just imagine, like there'll be over 100 people there selling all kinds of different things. You can just imagine all the different kinds of products you can get. I'm thinking about honey myself. <laughs> well, honey is a big favorite for sure. I, I and, can, and jams and jellies. Yeah, I, like I can't get over how, how the uh, condiments and, and the, the, you know, the good stuff that goes with peanut butter has grown over the years, right? <laughs> the, incredible, like everything from the pomegranate jelly and all the way into uh-huh. the different jams and, and things and, and locally owned or locally grown, processed and canned and, and retailed. It's absolutely fantastic. It is really remarkable. You know, we have a young woman who sells mustards at our market, and um, she purchases Manitoba mustard seed for it. And she, but she mixes it with all kinds of beer, um, figs, all kinds of different things. So these, I mean, her mustards are amazing. So, you know, these products are coming, and we've got all these different sauces coming around, and they're they're really interesting and really unique. And I think that. You know, when you're when you're selling at a farmer's market, you, you want to be creative. You want to have something new and interesting for people. So people really put their thinking caps on and, and come up with all kinds of neat and wonderful things. So this is the, the biggest and best known farmer's market in Manitoba. Uh, for me personally, just whenever I hear the words farmer's market, I just think St. Norbert. It's kind of like, uh, like a Band-Aid or a Kleenex, you know. St. <laughs> Norbert is the brand name. Why is the St. Norbert Farmer's Market, what has, I guess, led to its success over the last now three decades? Well, I think that the starter point of it was that when the market, our market opened, there really weren't very many markets at all in Manitoba, and I don't think there were any in Winnipeg at that time. So um, actually, the founder of the market, who's going to be at the market, his name is Bob Rowley, um, he'll be at the market on Saturday. Um, he had gone out to Ontario and seen the Byward Market in, in Ottawa, and he came back and he said, that, that was a cool thing, and we need something like that here. And, and I love people like that who don't just say it, but they actually make it happen. And so he started up our farmer's market. And so there was sort of a, 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 an open, like a vacuum for farmer's markets at that time. So I think that sort of started it, that, that um, it was an opportunity. And also that we're, we're on the edge of the city. So we're still in the city, but it's a little bit of a country feeling. When you come out, you feel like you're getting out of the city a little bit. Um, and and it, it, when you live on, when you have your, your place at the edge of the city, you have room to grow. So we've had, had the room and the space that we've been able to sort of uh, build our market and grow it in that in that space and I think that's been really fantastic too. 
And I also think keeping it really local, like that we've, from the very beginning, our mandate was that it was going to be all about Manitoba. And as someone, for me, I've moved into this province from another province. And to me, this is a treasure that we have, that everything is locally made at our market. Marilyn Firth, Executive Director of the St. Norbert Farmers Market. And I think it was probably eight or nine years ago that I spoke to you the first time, Marilyn, Uh when, when things were, you know, even though it was you know, 20 years in, I think it's been really in the last five or six years that the farmer's market in St. Norbert has really hit its stride in terms of it, of it being a genuine farmer's market, because you hear that terminology sometimes, oh, there's a farm, farmer's market here, whatever. And you go and, and really it's, it's a hodgepodge of, of, uh, multi-level marketers, uh, hawking mm-hmm. their wares, right? This is a genuine farmer's market, uh, for so many reasons. Absolutely. And also in the last number of years, you know, we've also um, we embarked on a bit of an infrastructure program. And so we we've uh, did some fundraising and we've done quite a bit of work at the market. We we improved the ground so that it's not muddy. At one time it was kind of swampy there. So we had a whole bunch of drainage work done. And uh, then we built indoor washrooms and now, of course, our new canopy. So um, we've really been building and developing and working to make our market a really fabulous place, even more fabulous than before <laughs> to come out to. I know that it's called the farmer's market, but you reference baked goods and other things. Do, do you have mm-hmm. to be a farmer to participate in the St. Norbert farmer's market? No, you have to be a local producer to participate in our farmer's market because, you know, there's there's uh, there's only so many farmers for starters. So if you only had a farmer farmer's market, it probably wouldn't um, be very big. And people do like to come out and get other kinds of products. You know, when they come out there, they're looking for meat and vegetables, of course. And that's always something people love to find at the farmer's market because locally grown is just so good and so delicious. But um, it's also that people also want to see, like, it's it's kind of cool to come out and see the kinds of innovative ideas Manitobans have and what they produce. And so so we allow, we have all kinds of different, like I said, crafts and jewelry and baked goods and, and preserves and, and those kinds of things. And people really enjoy finding those kind of products as well. So we like to make it a nice mix. We work very hard to make that blend really nice for everybody. All sorts of diets out there, Marilyn, and one of them is sort of that homegrown, that 100-mile diet. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that the farmer's markets have helped perpetuate those things in different communities, or have the farmer's markets benefited from uh, this idea of eating close to home? You know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that um, certainly the farmer markets, farmer's market benefits from people who, you know, are interested in finding local product and, and, and purchasing close to home. But I also think that when you have a farmer's market that's got, you know, a lot of different products, people see then that there's so many different things that they can they can purchase that like people don't sometimes realize how much great stuff we produce here and so when you come out to the farmer's market and you see 100 130 different producers all producing all these different kinds of things you go holy smokes like we're pretty cool around here so i think that it's that nice blend um i do think that people are kind of realizing that food when you know when a farmer harvests his lettuce the night before or the day of and brings into the farmer's market, it tastes better, it lasts longer, you know, and so people are starting to kind of go, wow, this tastes a lot better than that stuff that's been shipped in from far away. Marilyn Firth, Executive Director of the St. Norbert Farmer's Market, thank you so much for joining us this morning to tell us about tomorrow's opening. Thanks for having me on. 
30 years of the St. Norbert Farmers Market, and once again, they have a brand new, bigger canopy, and uh, that means there's more room for great vendors. Happy anniversary. I have to get back out there. It's a marvelous way to spend some time. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanley Vidal, and thank you for listening to CJOB. And then-